If we told you that one of the leading companies in some of the most modern aerospace technology was based in Brisbane, you'd probably call us crazy. But today, we unpack this tech and the company Hypersonics, a pioneer in scramjet engine and hypersonic vehicle technology. Today's guest is literal career rocket scientist, Michael Smart. Michael is Chief Technology Officer and Co-Founder of Hypersonics, a world leader in scramjet technology. Michael spent 10 years as a research scientist at the NASA Langley Center scramjet branch. A pioneer in scramjet engine and hypersonic vehicle design, Michael was awarded Australia's top scholar in his field of aviation and aerospace engineering in 2020. Michael is the vehicle and technology architect of DART AE, Delta Velos, Delta Velos Orbiter, and the Wearaway Satellite Launch System. All products in the exciting rollout portfolio of Hypersonics. While there are currently over 100 small launch vehicle companies in development internationally, few use hydrogen as fuel, and none use scramjet technology for small satellite launches. Hypersonics is leading the world in green scramjet engines and hypersonic aerospace designer and engineering. And today we hear from the man who has essentially built it all. Hello and welcome back to the business of. I'm Charlie. And I'm Will. On today's podcast, we delve into the fascinating company that is Hypersonics. We hear about its world-leading technology, its real-life applications, and the future of this exciting Queensland-born company, who with the backing of organisations such as Trade and Invest in Queensland, are taking their world-first offering global. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome back to the business of. Today we are very lucky to be joined by Michael Smart. How are you, Michael? Great, great. It's a nice sunny day here in Brisbane. <laughs> it's lovely weather. Sure um, is. Yeah, brizzy winter. How good. <laughs> um, so, Michael, we'll get stuck in. We're pretty keen to hear about um, your background first. So, it's our understanding that you spent many years as an academic at UQ and also a decade at NASA. How were those gigs? Yeah. I uh, know. Great. So, I, um, you know, when I was, I did mechanical engineering at UQ. Yeah. So wow. that's where all this, all our this hypersonic tech comes from. It's real mechanical aerospace stuff. And um, like growing up, like my number one goal was to go work at NASA. Yeah, like yeah. that was the thing <laughs> that kept me going the whole time. Um, and I, I, I'm sure I drove my friends crazy with it. And um, so I did engineering and worked as an engineer for quite a few years. Um, and so I got my first taste of hypersonic things at UQ. But then I um, had the chance to do my PhD in the US. Oh yeah. So I went to this quite well-known university called Brooklyn Polytechnic. Yeah. And yeah. they. One of the sort of areas was hypersonic technology as well. And so I did my PhD there. And then I had an opportunity to, to go and do what's called a postdoc at NASA Langley. Yeah. Wow. So NASA Langley, wow. NASA has a lot of different centers. Langley is the place where they do all the high-speed aerodynamic type stuff. Yep. And also um, this stuff about scramjets, which is what I was really interested in. So I was able to go there yeah. uh, as a postdoc. And then I eventually stayed there for 10 years and became a research scientist and everything. And just had the most fantastic time. So many great things to play with. Big, <laughs> massive wind tunnels. We had a wind tunnel. It's called the eight-foot tunnel. So it's not eight foot long. Like the yeah. diameter of the tunnel was eight feet. That's crazy. And it was like, so it was like 100 meters long. Yeah. yeah. So, and we tested hypersonic aircraft in there. Really? That's what we did. It was oh. bloody awesome. And um, around 2000, middle 2000, so 2005, there was a group back in Australia doing flight testing yeah. of hypersonic stuff and scramjets. 
And I really wanted to get into that. And I was keen to come back to Australia as well. Yeah. And so came back to the University of Queensland and then spent 15 years there in the Centre for Hypersonics. Mm. And the great thing about UQ, um, it was doing lots of um, flight testing, but it has this um, special wind tunnel. Mm. Uh, mm. It's called a free piston shock tunnel, but basically it, it's a tunnel that you can test these scramjet engines at the exact conditions that oh, you would really? have when they're flying. Like That's in incredible. The oh, yeah. And it's one of the few facilities in the whole world. It was actually developed by a guy at UQ who's called Professor uh, Ray Stalker, who was my supervisor wow. many years ago. So I spent a great number yeah. of years there. And then it was time to you know commercialize, right? Yeah, happy yeah. days. <laughs> and, we, and we'll get into that because I guess the... The pathway from academia to commercialization is a is a pretty tough one. It's that complicated. A lot of people yeah, yeah. a lot of people um, often find too hard or they, they find it confusing and they you need a good need a good partner and a good network around you. Can you speak to um, the development of that, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, so um, it is complicated. There's you know, and I think it's in Australia we're terrible at it. Mm. There's mm. lots of fantastic uh, you know uh, technology and ideas that are developed to sort of a research level mm. in the universities in Australia, like really amazing mm. uh, and punch above our weight worldwide. But the skills that you need to do that uh, are not the only skills that you need to run a successful technology company. Mm. Yeah. There are other skills that you need. And um, the complexity for academics, I think, is... Um, being able to, you know, bring bring a partner on who can add that to to add, add that together with the cool technology, mm, yeah. um, and and put together a real business. And so that's a, it's a totally different uh, skill set. Um, you know, I've been in business now for three and a half years. I have a business partner, a uh, Dave Waterhouse, who's the CEO of the company. I'm the CTO. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Really, the, the reason we've been successful up till now is it's the combination of, of the business knowledge mm, yeah. um, and the technology that's made it, with, made it successful. But like I would say, like I know a lot of um, smaller tech companies where the academics, so myself, mm. has really tried to go it alone. Mm. And it's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. It, it takes um, different skills. And... Like David and I, like the first year of our company, we just like spitballed against each other. And we had totally different views, not necessarily totally different views, but different views on how to make the company work. Mm. But even having that like tension, that creative tension between the two of you, mm. you end up in a better place. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so like, so it's, it's complicated. Um, I think the other issue in Australia is um, more of a, um, like a commercial thing where the universities um, have a really weird view on what intellectual property is yeah, right. mm. and how to make the most of intellectual property. Mm. Um, intellectual property can be the most wonderful thing in itself and can be sitting there on a table or on a computer somewhere. Yeah. Um, but un- unless, it's, unless someone is motivated to invest in that, intellectual property mm. yeah. financially mm. um, it's it really it just sits there yeah, yeah. and if the universities make that intellectual property too expensive mm. um, for people 
to take advantage of, then they just don't do it. Yeah. And so a lot of universities, they want to like, you know, put these enormously high licensing fees on intellectual property and try to get all this upfront cost mm. uh, in, mm. in place. But then it's, it, it just puts this barrier uh, to, to uh, making use of intellectual property. Yeah. The better way is to say, okay, we have this intellectual property. Um, here it is to a company. Go and use it. But if you end up making some money out of intellectual property, well, we'll take yeah. our fees then. Because mm. then everyone's yeah. winning, yeah. right? Everyone puts effort in and everyone can win. Mm. But to put these barriers up initially, it, it's just, it just shows a lack of understanding of how business works, really, like yeah. in my view. Yeah. And I've been very disappointed in universities in Australia. Yeah. In the States, if you're an academic like I, I, I was here, yeah. if, if you're in the States, like... If you don't have three startup companies and you don't have your postdocs like doing slave labor for your startup companies, like you're not going to get anywhere in the university. Yeah. Uh, and Germany has a more formalized way, which is more aligned with big companies. So, mm. you know, to be a, a, a professor of mechanical engineering, you need to have, have worked at BMW or some other oh, wow. company right. beforehand. Otherwise, oh, yeah. there's no way you're going to become a professor. Oh, so yeah. it's a totally different system. Yeah, Our yeah. system just does, really doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we've been lucky. We've got going to, to here, but it hasn't been that easy. Yeah. Um, and other com other, you know, techs have come out of Australia as well, um, but it could be so much better. Yeah. Mm. And what's sort of gonna what what can drive that change? Is it something you can legislate, or is it just the university? I know it's the attitude of the university. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they just need to say change the mindset. Change mm. the mindset. Here's our intellectual property. Go and run with it, but yeah. if you if this ends up being successful, uh, then you know we'll we'll take our cut, mm. and, yeah. and that's the way to really energize in all this great sure. intellectual property that's yeah. been created at universities. Mm. And now we'll step into hypersonics a bit now, and I guess probably your past three and a half years, you speak to your time there. Um, hypersonics is leading the charge in the sustainable aerospace movement is our understanding. Um, can you speak to speak to the business and yeah, give us give our listeners an understanding of what you guys are looking to achieve? Mm. Yeah, so um, so I might just step back a little bit so yep. and explain. So our company's called Hypersonics with an X at yep. the end. Right? <laughs> and and we make and fly um, hypersonic aircraft. Now what hypersonic means uh, it's so the, the speed of sound is Mark one, and yeah. so the sound of my voice going to you guys right now is Mark one. Yeah, uh, it's about it's about th thousand kilometers per hour. Mm. Yeah, um, supersonic is anything above Mark one. Mm. So the Concorde, for example, flew Mark two, which is supersonic, but anything above five times the speed of sound is hypersonic. So, yeah, that's so sharp. more than 5,000 <laughs> kilometers per hour. That's, quick. That's, Mark, that's like Mark Wood bowling off the, <laughs> off the long run for England. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the really long run. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so it's really fast. And the, the thing about it is, um, uh, you know, if you want to fly hypersonic speed, you need an engine that works at a hypersonic speed. Mm -hmm. Jet engines don't work at a hypersonic speed. They have all these turbine blades and other things that just melt. Yeah. Um, so, what we've developed, uh, and it, you know, these engines have been known about, worked on for more than fifty years. They're called scramjets. Mm. Yeah. Supersonic combustion ramjets, and oh, yeah. they're an air-breathing engine, just like 
a jet engine, like they take in the air, just like a jet does, add fuel, burn the fuel, generate thrust. We do exactly the same thing, but um, our engines work at hypersonic speed, so Mark V and above. Mm. Uh, and that puts us in a really interesting place because we have jet engines for you know lower speeds. We have rockets which are very, very inefficient but can sort of cover all the speeds. Mm. And now we've got these technologies, uh, based, these hypersonic technologies, uh, which can enable aircraft to fly Mark V up to Mark X. Yeah. And so it's this ability to fly at those speeds uh, and you know not melt not burn yeah. up <laughs> yeah um, and then but also to be able to then you know land on a normal runway with, wow. with undercarriage and that sort of thing yeah. and so that the, the systems we're developing are really designed to to bring along these hypersonic aircraft now that also that sounds awesome right and that is awesome yeah, yeah. but there is a limitation to what to our scramjet engines they work fantastically well above Mark V, hypersonic speed. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But they don't work below that. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah, because yeah. instead of having all these turbine blades and crazy things, that we use the shock waves in the air to do the compression. So that oh, compressor yeah. at the front of an engine is actually compressing the air to make it easier to burn yeah. in a jet engine. Yeah. So we need shock waves to do that. And those shock waves don't occur at lower speeds. At lower speeds. Yeah. yeah. So our engines are limited to that. So that's been sort of like we would call it like a system level limitation of mm. scramjet engines. <laughs> yeah. But what it means is you need some other system to get you up to Mark V. Yeah. And uh, in the near term, we're basically make, we're, ha we're partnering with rocket companies wow. uh, to do that. Because yeah. rockets are very mature uh, technology. Um, you know, it's a shame that we, most of them are thrown away after a single use, yeah. which is very 1960s and old fashioned. Yeah. Uh, but they're a very mature technology, and so we partner with different rocket companies to get us up to speed. Yeah, <laughs> and then we go and do our um, hypersonic flight. And um, so yeah, so that our company is that's that's what we're doing, um, and we use these scramjet engines for propulsion, and then we design hypersonic vehicles. And we use the other thing is we use hydrogen as our yeah, fuel. Yeah, we're gonna ask about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and hydrogen is an awesome fuel. It's like of all the sort of sort of chemical fuels out there, yeah. it 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 gives off the most amount of energy per kilogram of fuel. Yeah, wow. Um, part of that's because hydrogen is very light, um, but it's bloody awesome fuel. And when we burn it, it just creates water, <laughs> so there's no yeah. there's no pollution created yeah. uh, when we when we fly our aircraft. Yeah, yeah, that's insane. Um, yeah. So the market you'll be playing in is is projected to be worth nineteen billion by twenty thirty. With a um, with an estimated fifty thousand small satellites expected to launch by that date, um, how exciting is that for hypersonics, and how well are you guys positioned to address a portion of that market? Yeah, so I so I I should follow one and say so the we're designing hypersonic aircraft. Yeah, those aircraft can be used to fly you know a couple of thousand kilometers, Many, very yeah. very fast. Yeah, 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 or they could be used to be a part of a space launch system. So yeah. where we could. Multi-purpose, yeah. Well, have a multi-stage, yes, multi-purpose, but so the space launch system, you know, we need a rocket to get started yeah. and then we fly our aircraft and then we have a, a like a little kick stage, we call it, which would take the satellite up. Yeah. <laughs> and because we're an aircraft, we can actually maneuver uh, very effectively to align and get the timing perfect on a, 
on a on our satellite launch. Mm. Um, so that's a really important part of what we do. And the way I describe our like space launch stuff is like um, we we're going to fly to space like Qantas. Flies. <laughs> we're not going to be launched to space like NASA. So. No. Just so long as you're not flying like Jetstar and uh, and sometimes not showing up. Well, not showing up, no. <laughs> yeah, we definitely have to show up. But we're basically, we're, but you know, when we fly that seven three seven like Jetstar or Nat or Qantas, they don't throw it away, right? Mm. But NASA, that massive Artemis rocket that they flew earlier this year, you know, it's like a hundred meters high, full of hydrogen and oxygen and stuff, and they just threw it away. Because then they got to go buy, build another one. <laughs> now that, you know, that is dumbass. Yeah, like really. Honestly, sounds yeah pretty pretty silly for. It's pretty silly. And that's why NASA as well. Yeah. yeah, that's why space is just so expensive. So mm. you mentioned the market there, right? So that's yeah. that market is based upon that's the satellite. That's just a small. Market. Yeah, the satellite. Yeah, the small market. satellites. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you say there's fifty thousand of them. So, um, can't. Companies that have large space systems, space launch systems like uh, um, SpaceX yeah. uh, and other big companies, they have these... Elon. Yeah, Elon, <laughs> an awesome guy. Yeah. Um, they have these large uh, rockets and they can launch like 50 of these small satellites every time. Yeah. And, you'll, and SpaceX, they launch once a week. Yeah, that's crazy. It's, like, it's so amazing. They also try to reuse their rockets too. They really they landed on the pad and they bring them back and oh, refurbish really? them. Yeah, so yeah. they're they're trying to break it, break that you know, nineteen um, sixties thing about throwing yeah, it yeah. away every time to reduce cost, mm. but also to reduce pollution. Like you know, just throwing rockets away every time. So much pollution with that. Yeah. And if you're going to put up fifty thousand satellites, yeah. how many rockets did you throw away? Yeah, <laughs> you threw away a lot of rockets. Like, <laughs> you know, like that's. You know, it's a hundred rockets that you yeah, threw yeah. away. Um, anyway, so so s- s- companies like SpaceX, they want to put up 10,000 satellites in their Starlink network. Yeah. I think it's more than that, but it's around that. Yeah. They launch in 50 at a time, so that's a lot of launches. Mm. But the really interesting thing for our company is that um, when they put 50 up at a time, up to five of those satellites, when they get in their position and, and, and whatever, are dead. Mm. Yeah. So there are actually holes in the network yeah, well, all over the place, yeah. and those holes, they, no one knows where they're going to be. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So it doesn't make sense for SpaceX to launch a a rocket that can take fifty satellites up because they don't need to put fifty satellites in that one place. They need to put one. Yeah. Mm. So what we're planning to do is to supply replenishment services to companies like SpaceX. Mm-hmm. So we would only, our system, we would design a much smaller system yep. based on our hypersonic aircraft. Um, and we would just launch one satellite. We'd yep. launch it very specifically in a very specific position and a very specific timing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can fill holes for them. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're developing space launch technology. It's more scaled to what we can develop here in Australia. Mm. Um, but we're only trying to. We're trying to work with these big, very successful companies. We're not trying to compete with them. Mm. And when you're starting a new small business, you don't want to compete with the gorillas, right? Mm. <laughs> you want to be able to like scratch the gorillas so they can feel better. Yeah. And so that's our business model. Yeah, that's our business model for yeah. the, on the space side, anyway. Yeah, on that beta. But Elon's side. best mate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, wow. So I guess another thing Charlie and I were very interested about is um, like the funding aspect of a business like Hypersonics. Obviously, your runway to revenue is probably quite long. Yes. Um, so what's it like trying to fund that along the way, knowing that obviously you and um, you know Dave have such a great conviction in the business? How is it trying to convince other people um, to keep backing you guys in and that Hypersonics you know, will work out in the end, yeah. Yeah, so, so we have to have that long-term vision yeah. of the company, you know, and, the, and we have to have a fairly good idea of what's the, um, what's the spend to get that system operational. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so it's, it's actually of the order of about $100 million, mm-hmm. um, which... You well, know, Will can cover most of that. Yeah, Will. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah just your check. Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> Credit card's fine. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, and like, you know, and we had like a, like a five-year plan to, to get to that. But, uh, and, but along the way, we, you know, what we've come up with is some products along the way that um, use the same core technology Mm. The scramjet engine and our ability to fly these aircraft and use hydrogen fuel. Yeah. Um, but develop like smaller systems that can't necessarily fly to space. Yeah. Mm. But can do other things mm. that are very interesting. Yeah. Uh, and so, so that's what we've done. So, um, but just to answer your question, how are we funded? So uh, we're privately funded. Yeah. Um, mm. Mainly. Um, family offices, um, high net worth individuals, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, but. In addition to that, we've also been quite successful um, and very thankful to the Department of Industry, Commonwealth mm. Department of Industry. They've really helped us out a lot. We've mm. had some, we've got an, ex, an accelerating commercialization um, award from them. Wow. Mm. That was our first one. We've got another thing, it's called a, a CRCP, which is like a technology development project. Yep. And then last year, which is actually funding a first flight of one of our vehicles, we got a a grant called it was a modern manufacturing initiative yeah wow um and so that's as i say that's going to fund a flight so so we've been quite successful getting the grants what's really interesting about the grants is they're match funding yeah. so yeah. so you know our flight project is like you know less than 20 million dollars project um but the government will only fund you know a half of that so yeah we've got to go out and raise the other half and it's, it, it, cre- it creates a, a like an interesting tension in in raising funds and I actually think it's a pretty good system sort of put your money where your mouth is yeah. to an extent but Exa- yeah. now that you've done that we'll give you a little bit of a prop up yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. and but also like it sort of gives confidence to investors that you know if the government's investing you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, you know eight ten million gives confidence end. both ways yeah it's yeah. yeah yeah so yeah. it's quite interesting actually yeah. the way the department ministry do that the yeah. Si- yeah I didn't think of the psychological aspect it has yeah, yeah. yeah. no it yeah. does it do- definitely has that mm. um, so yeah so so that's how we're funded, um, and so in order to, um, but we got to a point a couple, like about a year ago, maybe eighteen months ago, where our investors said, you know, we really would like to see you fly something. Mm. So I like, I've been involved in a lot of hypersonic flight testing from a research perspective, but we've never actually flown like a prototype vehicle or anything yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. and so. So we stepped back and we thought, well, you know, what would we do? And and we formed a partnership with a with a rocket company, and this is what we proposed 
to the MMI was to fly a small vehicle, a tech demo, essentially. Yeah. So the modern manufacturing initiative. Yeah. 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 And so it's this tech demo. So it's called Dart. And if you look on our website, you can see it there. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of it's 3D printed and everything. So we're using all this modern, great modern tech. Mm. Yeah. But it's about three and a half meters long, um, flies at Mark 7. So, yeah, well. uh, you know, seven times the speed of sound. Um, that's quick it's an <laughs> aircraft so it has all aerodynamic control that's another thing so it's a fully autonomous aircraft yeah right um, oh, and we have a very strong uh, uh, autonomy autonomy team within our within mm. our small company mm. um, and so yeah so that's what we, we decided to do but so that was a tech demo right yeah. and um, what's really been interesting about it uh, David and I have been you know in the US talking about what we're doing and 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 other places and we got a really strong response uh, on this on this dart vehicle really mm. yeah b- because um there's a lot of interest interest in hypersonic technology nowadays we all know about you know the R- russian and chinese weapons and, and other things yeah, yeah, we're yeah. not a weapon we're like a platform to fly hypersonic yeah but there's a real um interest in f- in flying having a lot more f- flight time in hypersonic conditions mm. So you can test all sorts of weird and wonderful things that you might want to have yeah. on a hypersonic aircraft. And this DART that we developed, you know, that really grabbed the interest of, of a platform that's relatively small. It's fairly inexpensive. We, we actually have a very inexpensive system for a scramjet. There's no moving parts. Mm. Uh, use yeah. hydrogen as a fuel. Uh, we can turn our engine on and off. We have a very, very simple system relative to other scramjet systems that, that have been that are out there and and that's like the, taking that real australian view on technology yeah but i find there's a real view here it's a culture sort of view about you know when we develop technology we keep it as simple as we can mm-hmm. uh, and complexity is the killer uh, and that's been that's the case with our scramjet engine yeah. so um, so you believe the simplicity holds you guys in good stead oh definitely because complexity is just cost and schedule yeah so everything, nothing should be on there if it can't justify itself on the, in terms of systems. But this simple solution is always the best solution. Mm. And sometimes you have to um, accept some limitations there, right? Mm. You, can't, you can't do it, have every bell and whistle. But the thing is, once you get a simple system in, in place and flying, you can then add stuff to it. Mm, and sure. so that's the view we're taking. So, so anyway, so we've got a lot of interest in that. And so yeah. we've... Just late last year, we actually got a, um, a contract with um, a group. They're part of U.S. Defense. They're called the Defense Innovation Unit. Yeah, wow. And we have a, a, a project with them to build and fly three of our darts. darts. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and that's been a real game changer for us because that's revenue now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, that's revenue uh, that's come to the company and that's going to enable us to then... Um, get investment to build our bigger systems. Big Your first dollar of revenue is game changing, isn't it? Yeah, like yeah, it is, yeah. yeah, from a, instilling confidence in the in the concept yeah. and the and all the hard work that's gone into it. Yeah, yeah. for and, sure. But I mean, like the, the the long vision is still really important to the company yeah, and yeah. important to that to people who invested in it. Yeah, because they didn't. Really it, that's what they invested in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That longer bit term vision. I guess um one thing that also really I find quite interesting. Um, is I guess, yeah, the emergence of hypersonics probably, you said three and a half years ago, I'm sort of doing my numbers, you guys would have had a bit of time through COVID as well and you've had a few, like it's, it's probably been 
the fro- there was a frothy period after COVID there for for fun for funding from some respects, and then now slightly tougher period. Mm. How do you ke- sort of keep your emotions on an even even sort of keel as a as a startup founder? Because I think people in Australia probably and not sorry no that's a wrong comment. I think people so- sometimes don't understand um, not not Australia in general, but people sometimes don't appreciate how hard it is to f- f- found your own business. And yeah, so can you speak a bit to mm. some of those emotional up and downs? I guess that'd be pretty tough. Yeah, it, it, it is tough. Um, it's definitely a different life to being an academic for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, one, one, one you're probably getting, getting paid a standard sort of salary yeah. and then one year... Yeah, it's got to be a crazy like switch. Yeah, yeah one yeah. you've got ownership in this thing that could yeah. be massive one day. And yeah. it's like, yeah. you probably go to bed every night thinking... Yeah, yeah. yeah you know. Like, Packing your sleep. You yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I... yeah. Like I do um, wake up early. I mainly tend to wake up early um, worrying about stuff. Really? My mind is weird, yeah. So I'll go to sleep okay, yeah. but I'll wake up for some reason and it, my, my mind is like, like churning about different really? things which I hadn't even thought consciously about the previous day. But that's how my <laughs> mind works. Everyone's <laughs> yeah. The mind of a rocket scientist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quite literally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah like yeah, running a small business is really complex. Mm. It's very complex, you know. We have to make sure we can pay our staff every two weeks. Yeah, I was going to say, especially so with the growing flow. team as well. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. cash flow um, and, and, you know, we the premises that we have and all the infrastructure that we have to invest in. Mm. Um, up until now, so up until now, we have, we have not done any manufacturing internal to the company. Yeah. We do all the design work. But the manufacturing is outside. But then when the stuff is made, we bring it back in and, and then we integrate it together into a system, which is an aircraft. Yeah. And then we develop, do all the software ourselves. And then we, you know, our first flight is next late next year, but then we go and fly it as a service. Yeah. Um, yep. But we don't do manufacturing. And the reason we don't do manufacturing yet is there's a lot of infrastructure cost oh, heaps. in manufacturing yeah. yeah it's what we'll need to do to really uh br- bring in in the revenue over the longer run mm. but at the moment you know we, we don't do that we we're about to move into an integration facility where uh, right now all our engineering team are in the in fortitude valley in a place called the precinct so no, no, yeah, the precinct yeah. very well yeah, yeah so nightclub central yeah. <laughs> <laughs> will knows nice, the precinct nice nice knock off at friday then yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah, your it backyard to about it tends to start about lunchtime on friday in the precinct <laughs> in, in the, the precinct valley, <laughs> but um but and then we have um we also have a uh, like corporate office in sydney because uh, dave's uh sydney based yeah. yeah um but we're moving into an integration facility where we also have like a, a separate place where we do a lot of testing and things, but we, um, we want to bring it all together. Is that place top secret? Is it? Uh, yeah. No, it's not top secret, but we we're in the process of you know signing leases and all that sort of stuff. Love yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to all our uh, real estate real estate magnates out there. <laughs> so we're pretty close, um, and it's it'll be a really great um, place for us to to have bring all the engineering and the operations sort of stuff together yeah uh, and the engineers will be able to go to, from their desk you know down to the lab yeah, yeah that's awesome do yeah. all the software testing and you know so it's going to be fantastic that'll be really cool for us yeah yeah will, will that yeah. be in brisbane or in, in brisbane yeah. that's oh, awesome. awesome and that's yeah. exciting to get you guys sort of 
able to be in together because I yeah. find yeah. that pumping like, in Queensland. That's yeah, awesome. it's exciting yeah. for Queensland for sure yeah. as yeah. well. Like yeah. as a, I know mm. obviously you guys probably aren't just Queensland with Dave's presence being in Sydney. Probably some of your funding, I imagine, comes from interstate as well. No, no it, it's Australia wide our funding. Yeah, yeah. We exactly. We have some great investors in yeah. in most of the east, you know, eastern eastern cities, you know. which is awesome. Yeah. And it, but I think, yeah, in terms of sort of the innovation landscape, it's exciting. Well, we think it's exciting that there's a company like this coming out of Brisbane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we're, you know, we're excited too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, awesome. Anyway, Mark, it's been a great chat, and we've loved learning about hypersonics. Um, we have a final question we'd like to ask our guests. And we haven't prepared you for this one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, if there was one piece of advice you could give to a 20-year-old version of yourself, what would that be? Um, yeah, that's, that, no, that's a really good question. Mm. Um, what I would say is um, always, um, you know, in terms of your professional life and that, a bit mm. even broader than that, always do the thing that interests you most. Yeah. Mm. Because you'll do such a better job if you're really <laughs> yeah. into something. And that doesn't mean you that you, you never do any hard work and you just yeah. flit around nah. and, and stop doing things just because it gets hard. But um, you should always do the thing that really... Uh, Get you out of bed and mm. get you excited, and yeah. be prepared to, to be. Um, I was going to say obstinate about it, but I mean, you know, they're probably more positive words than that. But yeah. what I mean, like, don't give up. Yeah, yeah. Don't give up just because your mates are all doing other things. They're off in, you know, accounting firms, but earning massive salaries. <laughs> oh, hey, steady on. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't give up on the dream. Your dream. That could be your dream. But yeah, don't yeah. give up on your dream. Just or what you really want to do, yeah. and I think that's, that's so really true. important. Like, like in no matter what you do uh, in life, because you know you want to be able to get out of bed in the morning and enjoy what you're doing. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Because you'll do a much better job of it. And yeah. I, I can pretty safely say there's someone who hasn't, who, who, sorry, there's no one who has followed scramjet technology probably as closely as you. And I think it's a, uh, it's a, it's a great um, yeah. accolade for yourself where you've yeah. taken hypersonic so far. And I really look forward to seeing. So where the company continues to progress, and yeah, I, I hope, great hope, you, hope you guys continue to get the support you've had so far, because yeah, for people, sure. people are getting around it. Yeah. And, yeah. and what I would say actually is that you know the a lot of the stuff that's done, that we're doing the company, it's all built on the shoulders of like you know Ray Stalker. Yeah, there's another colleague of mine, Alan Paul, another colleague, Richard Morgan. Mm. Like we had this fantastic community hypersonic community in australia mm. it's, it's recognized worldwide as like mm. the pinnacle of hypersonic tech and yeah so and we all work together and it's all like it's all built on the shoulders of, of yeah. the previous generation too humble thank you so much uh for your time today michael we really appreciate it no, yeah, great chat awesome. to you guys thank you awesome. thank you for listening to the business of if you enjoyed the show please consider rating and following us on your chosen podcast platform, LinkedIn and Instagram as it helps others find us.